Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. If we want to become something better, we are going to have to die to some things. We might have to spend a little more time reading scripture than we might be used to. We might have to spend a little more time praying than we might be used to. We might have to spend a little more time fasting more than we used to. We might have to spend a little more time tithing more than we used to. We might have to spend a little time going to church more than we used to. We might have to spend a little more time loving our neighbor more than we used to. Loving more neighbors than we're used to. The ones that ain't from our same neighborhood. The ones that don't talk like we talk. Don't look like we look. The ones that ain't our kind. Because the Bible says when they asked Jesus, Rabbi, which of the commandments is the greatest? He said, there are two. To love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And a second is like that. To love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws hang all the laws and the prophet. There's some sacrifice that we have to be able to go through. First Corinthians fifteen. Verse 35, and I'll be going to the 50th verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? With what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow, that body shall be. But mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, and another of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one is the glory of the is uh, the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body, is sown, the body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of earth, made of dust, and the second man is of Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who have made of dust. And it is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now I say this, brethren. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does corruption inherit in corruption. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, for the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about death cafes. Death cafes. Uh, across the United States, sidewalk cafes are booming. Uh, in 1964, only about 30 such cafes existed in all of New York City. 50 years later, the count is 1,300 and growing. In 1971, there was this small little place that opened up in a, uh, uh, a public market in Seattle, a little small struggling coffee shop. You might have heard of it, Starbucks. By 2015, there were more than 22,500 around the world. In many cities, you can't walk a handful of blocks without running into a Starbucks. They got one in the Kroger and Dickinson. And they're opening one. They broke ground and started to build one that's going to be on 517 right next to the mainland bank in Dickinson. People seem to enjoy the, the coffee, the handcrafted smoothies, the pastries, the sandwiches, the free Wi-Fi in a relaxed and comfortable setting. You go to, you go to Starbucks now in these cafes, uh, people have brought laptops, printers, people are holding meetings there. They've turned it into like their portable office. They like that ability to be there. Uh, uh, but not only that, you can not only be inside, but you can be outside if you want. You don't have to be stuck in the building. You don't, you don't have to be stuck in the building. You, you don't have to be stuck in the building. Not only that, but if you look at how they're building any new malls over the last 10, 15 years, you will notice that the expansions of the existing malls and the new malls that get built, they are no longer these enclosed buildings. You look at Baybrook Mall right off of Bay Area. They expanded Baybrook Mall and all the expansions on the outside. You can walk down streets. You can go from restaurant to restaurant. And not only do you get a lot, have to sit, you, not only are you able to sit inside and eat and be in the building, mm -hmm. you can sit outside yeah. and eat. Yeah. You don't have to be stuck in the building. And Braybrook Mall has made these changes so all the expansions look more like a courtyard. Uh, I was a fan of First Colony Mall when I lived in the Fort Bend area. All of their expansions have got these open area courtyards that are doing it. This is all to help people talk and connect with one another. 
we have been so concerned about what's going on on the inside of the building that we've started to neglect the outside while the world keeps spinning around and everyone else is thinking about it. I remember working at Exxon and as private as Exxon was, when they built that new building in the woodlands, very few walls that you could not see through. It was glass. It was open area. It was shared workspaces. You didn't have your own office unless you was way, way high up the food chain. Everybody else had some shared spaces. They took their laptop home with them. They brought it back, and you sit down, and lo and behold, you had somebody. There was not a wall between you and the people sitting next to you, and there was not a wall between the people in front of you. You was going to have to talk to somebody if you wanted to get your job done. You was going to have to talk to somebody if you wanted to accomplish any kind of goal Worthwhile. You's going to have to put up with some people in order to get some things done. We ought to get people to talk to one another. Human connection is beneficial, especially when you got to talk about a tough subject. So how about this title, Death Cafes? It's not so relaxing. Not so huge, not so worldwide. It, it began in England about nine years ago. And although it sounds like a place for dying, it's actually the opposite. It's a place that people get together to learn how to make the most of their lives by having a greater awareness of death. Some may think it's surprising, some may not. Death is a hard subject to talk about. And having being in a profession where I may have to go to uh, several funerals, even in the course of a week, I may have to be at three or four funerals. I've learned that a lot of us don't talk about death. Can't say amen, say ouch. A lot of us don't want to broach the subject because we don't want to think about what happens when our loved ones go on to glory or what happens if we go on to glory. And so we don't get any life insurance policies. We don't get a will together. We don't get everything in order for if something happens and stop our family members from arguing and fighting over what they expect to happen at the hospital. We don't want to talk about advanced medical directives. This ain't in the sermon. I'm just going to step on some toes. This ain't a shouting message today. I'm thinking about this whole thing at this death cafe, and they have these kind of conversations amongst others. 
to prevent us from having to go to the funeral and take up offerings just to bury the person. Big mama gone and we've got some airship issues with the house. We've got some other issues with the assets. We've got all these things going on because we all wanted to avoid a tough conversation. Because talking to people is hard. I'll be the first to admit, talking to people is hard, but trying to figure out something after that person's gone is much harder. And so they have these death cafes. And not only that, you start focusing on things a little different. Some of the things that make you mad when you think about it, whether or not it's going to matter when you're gone, it shouldn't make you mad anymore. That's kind of surprising, though, finding life through a focus on death as usual and unusual rather as it is in line with the thinking is the opposite of what Paul said. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He said in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15 36, death cafes they're discussion groups and they can be virtually any size and structure and about all that unites them is the presence of people and some refreshments. Why would somebody go to a death cafe? Uh, There's a woman by the name of Linda Potter, and she'll tell you why. She's a pastor's wife, and she was drawn to the death cafe by a personal tragedy. In just four years, she lost her aunt to cancer of the brain, her father to colon cancer, and her nephew drowned. And as she grieved these losses, she asked herself and others the question, how do you want to live knowing you are going to die? When you think about the stuff that's in the scheme of things that we all, the Bible says that man born of a, of a woman, his days are few and full of trouble. Yeah. Uh, another passage says that uh, we, we, we are only gathered, guaranteed, what, three score and 10, 70 years, 80 if we're strong. Mm-hmm. When you put that in the scheme of things, some of those arguments you have it may not be as important as you thought. Some of those places you thought you needed to be in instead of going somewhere else may not be as important as you thought. And so she began to lead these death cafe discussions at First Presbyterian Church in Canton, New York, and recruited participants in nearby colleges. And she discovered that as we become more comfortable in talking about our own death, we become more alive in our living. Our priorities change. Let the church say priorities. Uh, And so what was going on in the Corinthian community was something about that as well. There were people that were trying to get their priorities in line. What was going on that that would have made the Apostle Paul write to the church in Corinth about uh, uh, the resurrection of the dead? Clearly people were asking, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? They also had exchanged in Paul's original response to the questions with the answers that departed from the gospel. These Corinthian Christians were not only fledglings in their understanding, but they were also incorrect. So Paul, as pastor, had to write a letter to the church to correct these people and let them know what was going on. In a nutshell, he had to let them know that the Easter story was not a lie. 
Told you last week that 1 Corinthians was actually written before the gospel, so our first Easter story is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul was writing to a church that was 20 years removed from the resurrection of Christ, not 2,000 like we are. And again, I'll say again because it bears repeating while these these scriptures were, were being written in, these, in the form of letters to these churches. It wasn't all nice and fancy to be a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus back then got you killed. Following Jesus back then had you having to throw hands against a lion. Following Jesus back then got you a bath and some boiling oil. It wasn't fancy. Wasn't no parsonage. Wasn't no annual conference where everybody stood up and said, yay, go Jesus, go Jesus, go. Wasn't no choirs going around. Wasn't no musicians out there living, uh, putting out albums. And, and wasn't no pastors out there living lavishly. And none of that was going on. Amen. Amen. You said you followed Jesus. Your life was bound to end right then. I'll give you a death cafe, all right? And so because these people had the fire right in front of their faces, sometimes their faith wavered. It's real easy to say for God I'll live and for God I'll die thousands of years removed from it. But would you say it if the gun was right in your face? If death was looking you right in your face? And so some of these people wavered and Paul had to give them some encouragement to let them know what was going on. And so they got real technical about it. Church folk get technical. You you say this resurrection is going on. What kind of body am I going to get when I'm resurrected from the dead? How am I going to get raised from the dead if I get killed? What happens to my old body? So he had to let them know that the corruptible is going to put on the incorruptible and and the mortality is going to put on the immortality. And if you believe that there's a God out here that can speak and the universe is formed, that if he says, let there be light and there's light, if he says something to divide the dry land from the water, then surely he can find a replacement body for you. But not only that, there was a relationship of the things that was going on because there were some some folks that were getting real technical about it. And then there were some others that just straight up just, well, if I'm going to die and get a new body anyway, I'm going to just do what I want right now. And so there were those who were enthusiasts or spiritualists and those would abuse their bodies through all kinds of different ways. And they claim that because they were justified with grace, the Lord knows my heart, they were going to do whatever they felt like. And that their temporal, temporary, their, their physical body did not matter. So he had to correct them on that as well. Uh, Paul gave them a pattern. Let the church say pattern. Uh, Paul illustrates the difference between the earthly and the heavenly bodies through analogies. He's responding to a question that somebody who believes in the resurrection but has a question about the details. So he brings up the seed, the difference between a planted seed and a harvested seed. This planted seed is, is dead, but the harvested seed is alive, and the seed has to sacrifice its body in order to become something else. 
the seed has to sacrifice itself in order to become something greater. Uh The seed goes into the ground to produce the plant that produces the fruit, right? But if you go back digging into the ground, the seed is no longer there. Because what was on the inside had to bust out. There had to be some sort of sacrifice in order for the work to come. The seed had to physically die to itself in order to become something better. If we want to become something better, we are going to have to die to some things. We might have to spend a little more time reading scripture than we might be used to. We might have to spend a little more time praying than we might be used to. We might have to spend a little more time fasting more than we used to. We might have to spend a little more time tithing more than we used to. We might have to spend a little more time going to church more than we used to. We might have to spend a little more time loving our neighbor more than we used to. Loving more neighbors than we're used to. The ones that ain't from our same neighborhood. The ones that don't talk like we talk. Don't look like we look. The ones that ain't our kind. Because the Bible says when they asked Jesus, Rabbi, which of the commandments is the greatest? He said, there are two. To love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And a second is like that. To love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws hang all the laws and the prophet. There's some sacrifice that we have to be able to go through. And so this seed sacrifices itself. And Paul is letting us know that this body that we're putting on is but a seed. We're going to have to beat it and sacrifice it and lose it in order to gain something better. I imagine it's like a basic biology lesson. I imagine Paul being compared to a high school biology teacher standing in front of the students in the class for the morning and the bodies of things differ and there are seeds that become plants. Then the plants sacrifice themselves to become seed. Bury the seed, give it care, and a new plant grows. There can be no new life for the plant unless the old plant dies. That's why we die daily. Uh, Those who farm could probably understand the concept very well. You're constantly turning over the soil. You're constantly planting seed and losing seed to get more plants and planting seeds. And there's a difference. And then he describes, he goes from the pattern to perfection. Let the church say perfection. He describes the new body as superior to the old. He rejects any simplistic materialism that will proclaim that the exact earthly body that dies is resurrection. That one was for Jesus. Jesus really died and really rose from the dead. But for us, we get the new bodies. The corruptible puts on the incorruptible and the mortality puts on the immortality. Because of sin, this earthly body is weak and doomed to perish. But those to live is Christ and die is gain. So we get planted like a seed. Our seed will die. 
You know, the funny thing, I was uh, spending some time thinking about this uh, as we uh, are stones throw away from Space Center. Those spacesuits. You put the spacesuit on because the core of your body is not designed to be in that element. You're not able to breathe out in space. So you got to put on a suit with some oxygen and the pressure is different out in space. But the reason you have to wear that space suit is because the core being is only meant to be in that environment for a temporary amount of time. And because the core being on the inside of the suit is only meant to be in that environment for a temporary amount of time, you put something on the inside, or you put something on the outside to protect what's on the inside so that what's on the inside can navigate through the environment. That's how the space suit's supposed to work. Protect what's on the inside so they can navigate through the environment. I would submit to you today that we all are wearing some spacesuits. We've got something on the outside to protect what's on the inside so that what's on the inside can navigate through this environment for about a temporary amount of time. Maybe 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. But what's that to eternity? So we are not natural beings looking for spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings navigating through this point in time in our natural lives. But sooner or later, we're going to have to take off our suits when we get back to our natural, actual environment. So this perishable body will be raised imperishable. This body that is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. This body that is sown in weakness will be raised in power. This body that was sown in the natural uh, for life will be giving life. And it, this life will be raised in giving life. And it will come from heaven and it will be raised bearing the likeness of Christ. Amen. Mortal flesh cannot get close to the realm of God. So in order for us to get to the realm of God, we're going to have to put on something that is immortal. We we realize, rather, that we do not have to fear the end of life. Death is a natural and necessary step on the path towards eternal life. With God, Paul tells us that what you sow will not come to life unless it dies, meaning that we have to let go of our physical bodies before we can receive our spiritual bodies. This knowledge lets us know that we can accept this understanding that we will be resurrected. The immortal immortal will put on the immortal and the corrupted will put on what is incorruptible and we have an example of that already. Came through 42 generations. 
was born in glory. I was there at the beginning. I can prove it in the Bible. The Bible says in the gospel according to John, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And if you go down to verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So here you have a spiritual being that had to put on a body that was human to navigate through that environment. And they showed us how it was supposed to be done. He lived a life that we could not live. He walked on water, fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He opened up the blinded eyes because he showed us how we were supposed to live. And then he went to Calvary for us and he died. And he got up on the third day with all power in his hands. But that's not where the story ends. He went up to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so because he was resurrected, we all can be resurrected. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I know how I can go from day to day. He was the first Adam and he was the the scout, the bearer that led the path that we are supposed to follow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 